0: WDIY presents a new season of Teen Connect with rotating new
1: host, Kira Kelly. This is Kira Kelly, the host of Teen Connect. Teen Connect explores local to global issues impacting young people and our community. Teen Connect includes teen hosts talking to experts in their respective fields to gain a better understanding of their experience on issues, as well as teens speaking with their peers about the problems and perspectives they are confronting. Today I would like to share with you the process of keeping and maintaining animals in the Lehigh Valley Zoo, especially with the COVID pandemic we experienced. I am joined by Cher Vadalaro, the Director of Conservation Education at the Lehigh Valley Zoo, and Natalie Hildebrand, the Lehigh Valley Zoo Education Lead. Thank you so much for joining me, Cher and Natalie. To start off, could you share with our listeners a little bit about yourselves and your background? Cher.
2: Sure. I have actually always known I wanted to work with animals um, since I was a little kid. And uh, when I went into college, actually at that point, just uh, a job in this field wasn't very popular. I didn't really know anyone. Um, so it was a little bit tricky to figure out, you know, what to go to school for. Um, so I did end up going to uh, Penn State for recreation park tourism management. And they had an environmental interpretation option, um, which focused a lot on informal interpretation and like nature centers, environmental education, which ended up being great. And I did multiple internships. Um, at marine mammal facilities or aquariums, because that's actually where um, my focus was when I was in school. Um, and then after college, I did work down in Florida at an aquarium for a couple years. Um, but I am from the Lehigh Valley, so I wanted to move back home. And then found my way into uh, the zoo. I actually wanted to be a keeper, but um, took a position in the education department, um, The education department, you kind of do both. You get to be a keeper, a trainer, and um, an educator. And ended up falling in love with that aspect and then worked my way up through
1: the zoo. And that's how I got into my role that I have now. That's super interesting. Thank you for sharing. Now, Natalie, could you also tell me a bit about yourself and your background?
0: Yes, I can. I actually was an animal carekeeper for the Lea Valley Zoo, but now I'm actually in education with Cher um, as the education lead. So I can actually touch base on both aspects of it. So growing up, I also had the same kind of background, always wanted to work with animals. Um, that's always kind of been my passion and what I've always wanted to do. So I actually went to Kutztown University. Um, and I actually did their marine science program, which not many people know that they have a marine science program at Kutztown University because it's literally not near an ocean. So, yeah, I've always wanted to work with marine mammals. Um, so after I graduated from college, I did an internship at the Baltimore Aquarium working with their dolphins and doing dolphin training. And then shortly after that, I actually landed a job also down in Florida. Um, at an aquarium and I actually worked in the animal care aspect so I did more rehab work with sea turtles and manatees and that's kind of where I learned that I want to do kind of more conservation work and more you know kind of along those lines so I was down there for about a little over eight years and did kind of more of the animal care side of things and then I moved back home as well again I'm also from the Lehigh Valley you know we just had a baby so we decided to move home be with family And luckily enough, um, I was able to get a job at the Lehigh Valley Zoo and I actually started in animal care over there. I worked there for a little over a year. And then Cher wanted me so badly on her side because I'm so (laughs) amazing. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So then I worked in education and now I am their education lead slash ambassador trainer. So I handle a lot of the programming, but more or less, I also handle a lot of the training of the animals and working on husbandry behaviors as well as programming behaviors So that is where I'm at today.
1: That's awesome. Now, Natalie, since you were saying you had a lot of firsthand experience with animals, could I ask you what keeping the animals safe entails? Oh, that is a loaded question.
0: So that's a lot. It's a lot of knowledge. It's a lot of background information. It's a lot of understanding animal behavior. um, And it's a lot of um, kind of being able to understand a situation, interpret a situation, and be able to move forward. Um, Animals are unpredictable, and you really got to be on your toes with every little thing that can happen. I know a lot of people that come to the zoo, they see animals, they think, you know, because they're at the zoo, they're not necessarily wild or have wild instincts. Um, But as a keeper and firsthand knowing that that's not necessarily the case, um, it's a lot of just kind of understanding and really understanding natural history with that particular animal ways to keep yourself safe, how to protect them, proper food and diet that that animal needs, weight managing for that animal, what enrichment is going to be best for that animal if they are a foraging kind of animal, if they particularly like more like puzzle feeders or they like things that might be a little bit more, you know, visual aspects or tactile aspects. um, Kind of, there's just like a lot of things that go into making sure that the well-being of an animal is always put first and understanding all of that that encompasses that, which is a lot of information.
1: Thank you for telling us more about the animal side. Now, Cher, I would like to ask you a bit about the conservation side as well. Could you explain to me some of the things that you do? Yeah, so most
2: recently, uh, as part of the education department and the conservation education, our biggest role is while connecting guests to the animals and creating those connections, um, making them care about them and want to participate in conservation. Um, we also are responsible for creating the messaging and um, giving action steps on how people can help these animals. Um, not only while they're in the zoo, but um, their counterparts in the wild. Um, so the zoo actually works is working on um, two big conservation projects currently. Um, one, again, is involving more so the messaging side of things. Um, so our department has created uh, Lehigh Valley Zoo's Conservation PACS, um, and PACS stands for um, five overarching conservation themes that the zoo is going to focus on in our messaging and as our identity Um, you know, throughout the entire zoo. Um, And so it's purposeful pet ownership, um, AZA institutions, which is our um, big accrediting body, conservation of natural habitat together with nature and sustainable living. So those are pretty much everything the zoo does. Um, All of our messaging um, is all going to fall under one of those overarching themes Um, A second project that is a little bit more hands-on that we're working on is bringing bird-friendly coffee um, to the Lehigh Valley and to the Lehigh Valley Zoo. So um, coffee is a big contributor of why the rainforest gets clear-cut, is to grow coffee plantations. A lot of farms will want to grow coffee and chocolate beans in full sun. Um, So they clear-cut the rainforest. And obviously that has a negative impact on a lot of species because most of the world's Um, biodiversity is coming from the rainforest so in order to do that we've actually um, farmers have learned how to do shade grown coffee the bird friendly coffee um, is 100% organic shade grown certified it's like the gold standard of sustainable coffee and uh, the process is the farmers have to get certified um, and then the coffee roasters go through a certification process as well to become a bird-friendly certified like distributor or roaster of that type of coffee, so the zoo has actually been working alongside uh, Calm Waters Coffee in Bristol, Pennsylvania. We worked with them to have them go through that certification process. Um, so now they are certified to b- bring in and brew that bird-friendly coffee, um, and then we actually are then contributing the messaging, and we're um, able to bring in that coffee from that roaster to sell um, to our guests. So we do a lot of rainforest conservation messaging. We have a lot of um, ambassador animals like our ambassador sloth that would come from the rainforest. So in order to help kind of drive home that message of conserving the rainforest, we do then kind of walk the walk. Um, You know, we talk about that and then we, um, we are able to then provide our guests with the ability to then purchase that sustainable coffee.
1: That's super cool. I never knew the, how much impact the coffee would have on the habitat. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, Natalie, what was the first steps that you take when introducing new animals into your zoo? Um, so a lot of the first steps are actually a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. So
0: it's a lot of concert, um, conversations with upper management and kind of having the idea of you know, what animals you know, are going to be best to promote our mission and what is best for the zoo. Um, So a lot of those conversations, you know, kind of happen behind the scenes, you know, with our vets, with animal care leads, with the curator, assistant curator, education side, um, our CEO. So all those conversations kind of happen, you know, behind the scenes, kind of figuring out what's going to be the best animal, again, to support our mission for the zoo. From there, we kind of look into our species survival plans. Um, We do actually have quite a few species of that we have in our zoo that are under this plan. And basically what this species survival plan is that it allows us to have a genetically diverse population, um, in play, um, under captive populations. So this is, you know, heaven forbid, you know, an animal were to become extinct or near extinct out in the wild. This would almost be like a backup plan in order to reintroduce, um, possible populations in the future, you know, long term kind of thing. So those are things that we do look into and we kind of, again, make sure that everything makes sense according to our mission and what's going to be best for, you know, our species and what we currently have and what's also going to make an impact for people that are going to be visiting the Lehigh Valley Zoo. Um, so that's why I kind of like that our zoo is a lot on, more on the smaller side, has a lot more native like types of animals that people can kind of relate to and know that they might see in their own backyard or be able to kind of take that message home that they're able to see, but then also, be able to see a giraffe that they obviously wouldn't see in their own backyard as well. Um, so it's always nice to kind of have a mix of both, so that people, you know, can be able to take home the messages that our animals provide when they come to the zoo, and then more importantly, when they leave the zoo.
1: Hmm, I never thought about how deep you research before getting all these animals into the zoo. Oh, it's a lot of work. Yes. So <laughs>
0: sometimes it goes over my head how much work it is. But yeah, it's not as easy as everyone thinks that it is.
1: Yeah. What steps would you take to get the animals acclimated with human beings around in the zoo?
0: So they do go through a quarantine process. And depending on the taxa, which means like certain species of animals, if it's a mammal, a reptile, or whatever, um, they all have different length of time that is considered a quarantine. Um, so we do have, like, a specialized small animal-holding quarantine as well as also a larger animal-holding quarantine that basically means that this animal will be by itself for, you know, it could be 30 days, it could be up to 90 days. And that's just more or less to make sure that the animal, you know, is thriving all right, that, you know, we're taking the proper blood work to make sure the blood work's going well. We also do fecal checks and things like that. We'll do vet exams. Um, so we go through that process to make sure that they're 100% clear, clean, ready to go and be reintroduced to if they're going into a herd, if they're going to be by themselves, if they're going to be with another individual. Um, And then from there, we'll do very slow introductions, depending on what that may be. Um, Like I said, if it is with a group of animals, um, they might have an opportunity where there's a barrier, that they know that the other animal's on the other side, and they might be able to smell each other from the other side and kind of get introduced that way. They might have opportunities where they can be with each other for a few hours to see how it goes. And then depending on how that goes, maybe, you know, expand that time to longer time frames, maybe shorter time frames. Um, So, yeah, even with the particular animals that we might bring in, they all have different, you know, what we call standard operating procedures. So depending on the particular animal that we bring in, they all will have their own set of policies that we need to abide by and go off of and then, Depending on the individual behavior of the animal and the rest of the animals, again, if they're introduced to other animals, that is also a whole process that can be very calculated before it goes into it, but it might change depending on what behavior is emitted by both animals. So, again, it's another full process that every safety measure is taken into account on both sides. And I can
2: actually expand on that a little bit um, because I know um, that's a lot of the process and stuff that we go through with um, introducing the new animals. Um, But Natalie and I both work with our ambassador animals, which are the ones that also get a lot of exposure to people and go out Mm -hmm. to school. So when we get a new animal, it takes a lot of um, operant conditioning training. So it's a lot of steps, what we call approximations, um, where we work with that animal um, alone by itself at first. Um, And then eventually we'll train it in different locations that it might be doing a program. Then we'll slowly do it in front of like a group of one person. We might ask um, some of our staff at the zoo that aren't working with that animal if they want to come and do like a a mock um, educational presentation. Um, So we just slowly work those animals um, into programming to get them used to being around people. Um, And all of the animals um, across the whole zoo uh, have choice and control, and that's part of operant conditioning. So they never have to do anything they don't want to do. Um, They have full choice. If they choose not to participate or they show us that they're stressed out or uncomfortable, um, we take steps back. We'll never force them um, to go out and do that. So it's a a long, slow process, um, but it is what's best for the animal.
1: Hey listeners, we are going to take a short break. Stay with us, we have more Teen Connect right after this.
2: WDIY's Movie Night Sing Along is coming up fast. We'll be showing the classic film Grease at the Emmaus Theater this Saturday, November 6th at 8 p.m., and you're invited. Dress up and sing along as we take a trip back in time to the 1950s. Tickets are $15 at the door, or take advantage of discounted $12 tickets for a limited time at our website, WDIY.org.
1: Do you have a car that you're trading in? How about an old truck or boat that's taking up space? Let WDIY help you get rid of unwanted vehicles and turn them into financial support for the station. It's a simple and easy process. We handle all the towing, title, and transfer, and it may be tax-deductible. Turn your vehicle into the programs you love. To learn more, visit WDIY.org or call 610-694-8100, extension 7. Celtic Fair, a celebration of
0: Celtic music and culture from its roots in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Brittany, and Galicia. With branches in Australia, Cape Breton, Canada, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, and the Lehigh Valley. Music, interviews, and a weekly culture calendar
1: every Thursday from 7 to 9 here on WDIY. Welcome back to Teen Connect. I'm your host, Kira Kelly. We've been talking to Cher Vadalaro, Director of Conservation Education and Natalie Hildebrand, Education Lead with the Lehigh Valley Zoo. Before we continue, I would like to ask you both, like, a fun question. And I was wondering, which is your favorite animal to work with, or just a favorite animal in general?
2: (laughs) I get to ask this question all the time, so I've got plenty of practice. So I actually have two. My favorite animal to work with um, would probably be our Ambassador Sloth um, for multiple reasons. he, like, is. I mean, everyone loves sloths, and they're really, really cool. But also for that reason, getting to see how much people, like, how much impact he has on people when they get to meet him and learn about him um, is always so rewarding and is always a great reminder about the best parts of the job and why we love doing what we're doing. Um, but my favorite animal, like, at the zoo, we have a African-crowned crane named Beaker, <laughs> Um, and the name perfectly describes him, but he is a very strong, since he's a bird, they bond very strongly. So um, you, when you work with them, you can tell that he has that bond with you and that he reciprocates that relationship, which is always a really, really rewarding part of the job. So I'd say probably our sloth and our crane for me. <laughs>
0: So, for me, um, my favorite animal of all time is is and probably will always be sea turtles. Um, I have just grown to absolutely love sea turtles. I mean, growing up, it was always dolphins, and then I quickly have changed into a sea turtle obsession. Um, I just find them to be incredibly, you know, magnificent and really cool animals, especially with going through, like, the rescue and rehab with them you know, seeing them at their worst, releasing them at their best and what they can go through and the challenges that they can, you know, overcome is just kind of something that's like eye opening because it's the same thing that people can also do. So I just have always kind of liked that messaging that's always been behind sea turtles and everything that is over encompassing with them. And then at the zoo, I would definitely say that my favorite is obviously going to be our West African crown crane as well, but it's more for his personality and just like how special of a bird that he truly is, um, but my other favorite is also our ambassador raccoon, um, Nico. She is an absolute sweetheart of a raccoon, and I know that's weird to say, but she's really adaptable. She really learns things very quickly from a training side of things, especially since that's you know something that I do mostly at the zoo. She is very quick to pick up on things. She's very um, eager to want to learn. Um, she is always down for any kind of tactile that you want to give her or if you go in there to spend time with her. She's just a very smart animal and it's amazing to see what she can pick up from learning it maybe two hours ago, maybe a day ago, maybe five seconds ago. So she has kept me on my toes and has taught me to also be a better trainer as well.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Natalie, how did the animals react to the lack of visitors from the pandemic in these past couple of years? Oof. so it's hard to say. Um,
0: I've definitely noticed a change, especially in, in a lot of our social group animals. Um, so like our African penguins, um, our all different species of goats that we have down at our goat yard. Um, those guys, I feel like, have definitely noticed the change of going from seeing a lot of people walk through our zoo to actually seeing nobody walk through the zoo. And it's almost like if they see a leaf fly by, they all react and have to go watch what it does. Um, It was just, it literally literally went from seeing something all the time to seeing nothing. So with that, they did get a lot of extra attention from our keepers, which was really nice. Um, So there was lots of extra attention from them. Even our educators, you know, we all were able to kind of spend that extra time with our animals to kind of give them that, you know, outside stimuli that they weren't getting anymore. So I definitely didn't notice that even if you would take a walk around the zoo, if you were just by yourself, you know, kind of looking at the animals, they would almost all just, like, look at you and be like, oh, my gosh, is that is that a person? Is someone actually here? So I definitely think that they have noticed a change in not having anybody there and not having that almost, like, stimuli to look at. So as weird as it is to say, like, people are enrichment for them. People are something that they do seek out and look for because it might be your voice it might be your hair color it might be what you're wearing it might be something shiny that you have on if it's jewelry you know those are things that all our animals do notice just like you notice our animals when you walk through the zoo they're equally noticing you and your behavior and what you say and you know all the things that might be on your you know body that You know could be enticing for them to check out or it might be like that's too flashy i'm gonna go over here you know so i definitely think that they have noticed the change with the pandemic and i feel like now that we've been getting people you know kind of a little bit more steadily back into our zoo i feel like things are kind of you know knock on wood hopefully kind of going back to normal
1: i'm glad that's great share what do you think the biggest challenge was to get people to return to the zoo after the lockdown I would say probably just being able to
2: make sure that protocols and everything were in place, um, so that people felt safe coming to the zoo. Um, we wanted all of this, obviously, the guests, to feel safe, um, but we also had to make sure that the animals were safe as well. Um, so, as you know, we're going through this pandemic. Um, you know, it had been found out that it is zoonotic, and um, you know, animals in the zoos were able to catch COVID. So. Making sure we're doing, you know, our research, working closely with our vets to make sure that um, all of the protocols were keeping both our guests as well as our animals safe. I do feel like we were fairly lucky when, um, when things started to open back up with being a mostly outdoor facility and something to do. I think, um, you know, people were tired of being, you know, um, not having anything to do or not being able to go out. So I do feel like guests and stuff um, pretty quickly returned to the zoo, um, which was definitely helpful after having to be uh, shut down for those two months.
1: I was wondering, is there a way that you guys connect with other zoos, the Lehigh Valley Zoo? Yeah, so um, we actually, there is a
2: big network um, with other zoos, and we all work together and collaborate um, very closely with one another. Um, I had mentioned um, earlier uh, AZA, so it's the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, um, is a accrediting body. They set uh, all of the really high standards that we have to follow as a zoo when it comes to the animal welfare and conservation and all of um, those different things that the zoo does. Um, and within that Network. Um, we have a very close relationship with a lot of other facilities. Um, they have a whole way that we communicate with each other. There's an AZA network that you can reach out. So you're constantly, you know, reaching out to other zoos and getting information and feedback from one another and helping one another out. Um, I do think uh, the zoo and aquarium field is kind of unique in that way, where even if the zoos right down the road, like um, you know, like Elmwood and Philly, aren't too far away from us. It's not necessarily, we don't necessarily compete with each other. You know, we kind of want all of us to benefit and do well, so we do work very closely with um, with our
1: colleagues. Thank you. Natalie, I read online that you have an in-school visit program. Could you tell me a bit about what that entails? Yes, yeah, so we
0: have um, different programs for our education department that we allow um, either Schools to come to us, and we'll actually do, like, a program um, at our zoo. So we'll bring out a couple animals. We might talk about certain, you know, qualifications and things like that that might be going on um, depending on, like, their core standards. So we are talking about habitats, adaptations, life cycles, things like that that would retain to our animals, but then also they could take back to as kind of something they could be able to learn as well. So we have opportunities that school groups can come to us. We also do zoo tours, too, where people can be able to kind of tour around the zoo. We'll give a lot of information and educational information about our animals um, and kind of also go over some other terminology that they might hear throughout their courses, especially for science classes and things like that. Um, And then we also do zoo reaches, too, where we'll actually go out to schools, libraries, or places like that and bring our animals to them. Um, and we'll also do, like, a informal presentation with their animals where they'll get that up-close opportunity to see them. Um, and then they can ask us questions at the end about our particular animals or maybe a word that they might have learned that they didn't understand that we can go over with them. Um, so, yeah, we do provide a lot of different opportunities for school groups to either come to us or we can go to them. So we try and make it as flexible and easy as possible And if none of those work, we also have our virtual option and people feel more comfortable with that. And that's actually been really successful for us, in particular, throughout this pandemic. Um, We've had a lot of schools utilize that virtual platform that we can be able to still, you know, provide them with an animal opportunity, but in a way that everyone feels safe.
1: Thank you for telling me about this program. It's really interesting. And I'm glad that you're able to share the zoo with younger children. Speaking of how can teens who have an interest in this field get involved with the Lehigh Valley Zoo? That's a great
2: question. Um,
1: so we do have volunteer opportunities, which is always a great
2: first step um, to get your foot in the door. Um, our volunteers are pretty involved with uh, the messaging um, and kind of spreading the mission and working towards the mission at the zoo. Um, so I believe all that information as well is there's a, like a Get Involved tab on our website the volunteering, Um, once you're 18 or above, uh, both departments, the animal care and the education department, offer internships um, seasonally, year-round, and so those are a little bit more hands-on, where you get to actually, you know, work alongside the staff in both of those departments and learn more about, you know, what we do on a day-to-day basis. So, um, you know, if anyone is wanting to know how to get into the field, whether it be education or animal care, Um, We always say the hands-on experience um, is very, very important. So internships, volunteer opportunities, and it doesn't necessarily have to be at the zoo, but like volunteering at animal shelters or rescue rehab places um, as you go through school um, will just help better prepare you for a job in this field.
1: Finally, I would like to ask where our listeners can go to learn more about the Lehigh Valley Zoo and all the great programs for animal conservation. I'd say probably the easiest or best place would be our website,
2: which is lvzoo.org. Also, following us on social media. Um, We have a pretty big social media presence, um, and we post a lot of updates
1: um, on that website. Um, And then also, obviously, coming and visiting the zoo. All right. Thank you, Cher and Natalie, for making the time to be with us today. It's inspiring for students my age to hear about your career paths and how they can be inspired and get involved. Yeah, great. Thank Thank you you for having having us. us. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in with us today on WDIY's Teen Connect. I'm Kira Kelly, and you're listening to WDIY's 88.1 FM. Tune in next Thursday for more Lehigh Valley Discourse, and we'll see you next time on Teen Connect.
0: WDIY Lehigh Valley Public Radio, your trusted local NPR member station for over 25 years. Many choices, real voices.